1: W-H-U-P-L-P, Hillsboro North Carolina, here in the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast, and we are your source for martial arts in the Carolinas and beyond. We've got a lot to talk about today. It's a packed show a ton of competition results uh, from local competitors, both in jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts. We have belt promotions to talk about at Forged Fitness. A friend of the show, David Hall, who just got his brown belt uh, at Forged Fitness in Raleigh, North Carolina is going to call in, talk to us about that. Very exciting. And at the end of the show, we have a special interview that's a little bit something different than we normally do. It's an interview with a dear friend of mine about a charity project that we work on together about verbal combat with substantial uh, content from the film Roadhouse. So I think you will enjoy that. And before we get to that, i got to tell you how to. Get a hold of the show We are on Twitter and Instagram At w h u p. That's CagesideWhoop You can email the show CagesideWhoop At gmail.com And our Facebook page Where we post a lot of the content Related to the show And we'll be posting uh, videos And photographs uh, from today's show Is Cageside Radio You can search for Cageside Concussion Cast And find us there So we have a packed show today uh, With an interview And I also want to tell you About some of the upcoming guests We've got coming in That uh, that I'm very excited about uh, Next weekend in studio with us Is going to be Bryce Mahoney now, you might know Bryce Mahoney uh, from his role as a Purple Belt at Forge Fitness, where he helps to teach the morning classes. You might know Bryce Mahoney uh, from the U.S. military, where he does a lot of v- veteran-related events, including a paddleboarding event this weekend that looked really fun. You might know Bryce Mahoney as the guy from Triangle Beans and Bowls, who sells the only healthy and delicious food available at most grappling tournaments and mixed martial arts fights around here, acai bowls, along with delicious cold-pressed coffee. Or, you might know Bryce Mahoney as a reality television star slash eco-warrior, which I'm really excited to talk to him about. However, you know Bryce Moni, he's an interesting guy with a great story. We're excited to get Bryce in the studio to talk to him. Also coming up, a friend of the show And terrific black belt, Daniel Frank One of the most active competitors in the region One of the most technical guys around Will join the show September 11th The day after his Toro Cup super fight And Daniel's going to talk to us about all manner of stuff His time in Korea, his uh, his techniques He's going to talk to us And uh, I also want to mention uh, We posted a video that Andrew Smith uh, of, from Revolution BJJ did uh, instructional video related to the 50-50 guard Daniel was gracious enough to to uh, film a video for us on instructional for one of his specialty moves as well, the Worm Guard, and we're going to post that uh, to the Cageside Radio Facebook page sometime later this week. So check that out. Learn some jujitsu from Daniel Frank and come back on September 11th to listen to him talk about his jiu-jitsu journey, his time as a black belt, his competition experience, uh, along with many more things. Um, I also want to mention that Toro Cup is September 10th. Uh, Toro Cup, for those of you that don't know, is a local grappling super fight event where there are about 15 matches. It's going to happen at the Triangle Jiu-Jitsu slash Cadeside uh, Fight Company Warehouse in Durham, North Carolina. These things are, uh, you know, I've worked on a bunch of them. I'm not working on it this time. John Bagels-Telford is making the matches. The card looks incredible. I think there are six uh, black and brown belt matches. Uh, Just a really terrific event, including one, again, by friend of the show, Daniel Frank, who will join us to break down his match as well as all the other matches. The day after that, September tenth, it's a ten dollars entry fee uh, to get in, which is cheap at the price to see these matches. Um, and we're going to be previewing some of those matches as the show comes up. And uh, we will, uh, but but whether or not you are able to go to Toro Cup, which I hope you are, you should definitely call. You should definitely listen in uh, the following day as Daniel Frank um, tells us all about it. So, one of the big events that's happened this weekend: uh, There's uh, Forge Fitness has a belt promotion ceremony that they called the BJJ Blowout, or alternatively, depending on who you talk to, the BJJ Butthurt, and it happens twice a year. And uh, we're going to talk about, usually we start the show, we start the news segment by talking about competition results. And we will be talking about competition results after uh, my first segment because we had a lot. We had the Boston Open for International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation uh, take place this weekend. We had the New Breed Ultimate Challenge in Charlotte. We had the U.S. Freedom Fighter Championship MMA fights also take place. We'll talk to you about all of those in terms of competition results. But I want to start the show uh, by talking about Jiu-Jitsu belt promotions. Because, uh, look, there are only five belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And this stuff is hard. Uh, People put a ton of their lives into it uh, in terms of both vertical and horizontal time. You know, we spend a lot of years training. We spend a lot of time on the mats preparing. And so, you know, bell promotions can be a big deal. And so I wanted when I saw Forged was having their their um, their semi-annual Brazilian Jiu Jitsu promotion event. I knew that I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Now there were a lot of folks that got promoted. Um, I don't train at Fortune, so I don't know all of those people, unfortunately. But I did want to shout out a couple of those folks in particular. One of them, Austin Snyder. I've uh, been training a long time. Got his purple belt. Um, Austin uh, is, you know, I know he's worked really hard for that, and so it's uh, it was great to see him achieve that. And another uh, person that I definitely wanted to, to talk about, and in fact, to get on the phone. To talk about earning a brown belt, which is a senior rank, a tremendous achievement, and has put a lot of time, effort, uh, blood, sweat, and tears into it, is my friend David Hall. And Dave Hall should be on the line with us right now. Or are you on the line with us, Dave? Hmm. Okay, well, that's not optimal. Okay, well, we're we're gonna try and get uh, we're gonna try and get Dave Hall back on the line. He's uh, he just called in. We weren't able to to get him on the air which is unfortunate so Dave if you're listening please call back uh, the studio and we will and, and we will shout you out in you know I'm, I'm really interested to talk to Dave about uh, his journey in jiu-jitsu about uh, what the belt means to him because you know a different belt means different things to different folks um, yeah so hopefully we will not uh, that technical difficulty will not continue in the meantime uh, while we're waiting for Dave to call back uh, I'm going to talk about competition results. Uh, because we had a bunch of jiu-jitsu competition events that I'm anxious for you all to know about. Uh, Let's start with the Boston Open. Uh, So the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation doesn't always come around uh, super... uh, Okay, well, let's see. So so, Let's try this again. Do I have you this time? Don't have you this time. Uh, Okay, well, that's disappointing. Um, Let me try one other thing. Yeah, everything should be working. Well, technical difficulties. Oh well. So, um, in that case, th- this is this is actually going to be better because I can just talk about David Hall without uh, without having to uh, without w- without having him th- to have the opportunity to answer me. So, uh, I'm sorry th- about that. We sometimes have a problem with the phone in the studio, so that that's unfortunate. I really wanted to get Dave on the show because, you know, Dave is one of uh. The toughest guys around, and when if you ha- if you haven't been through one of these Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, promotion ceremonies, they're very difficult. And I know that you know at a Triangle Jiu Jitsu we do a long what's called a belt train where basically everybody jumps on you one a minute. They're fresh, you're not. I know at Forge they do something similar to that, and I wanted to hear Dave talk about that. So I think I'm just going to kind of talk about him and what what I know about that. So Dave is one of the most uh, skilled and technical guys I know, and is constantly working to improve. Um, for those of you that train jujitsu, you understand that you don't just get a brown belt overnight. You, it's something that you, that happens to you over years and you have to continually strive and work and improve and, and get beat up. And, you know, and when you're a brown belt, you do a lot of the beating up too, but nevertheless, there's always bigger fish in the sea. And so many of you know that, that Dave's brother, Steve Hall, it, is a black belt. And people like to, to give him crap for that. Well, you know, hey, isn't your brother a black belt? And, uh, you know, Steve is one of the the, the toughest guys in the area, a really old school guy who we had on the show, has a bunch of great stories. And, uh, and so uh, and I know that at the last bit of his train that uh, they brought in Steve just sort of went when 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 you know so when you're already exhausted there's this really tough guy who's a black belt who also happens to to beat on you anyway and so that's uh so anyway I'm really I'm really disappointed that we can't get Dave on the air but you know what we're going to try and like record an interview with Dave put him up at, uh, as a uh as a podcast later this week. So, um, sorry. Thanks for calling in. Uh, I'm sorry that, that technical difficulties foiled me. But this just means I have to go out to Forged and train with you guys and get beat up a little bit and then we'll uh, we'll do a recording that I can put on the air that I know will work. This is the problem with live radio, folks. Sometimes stuff goes wrong. But mostly it goes right and we're grateful to have the opportunity. So, uh, let's... Without, without further ado, I do want to talk about uh, about some exciting interactive thing that, that I want to do, though. So, we... You know, jujitsu belts, you know, they're they're a tricky business, you know, because on the one hand, it's just a piece of fabric you tie around your waist to keep your gi closed, and uh, as Hoist was fond of saying, Hoist Gracie, you know, belt only only covers two inches of your of your butt, and you better cover the rest yourself. On the other hand, you know, when you put enough of your life into this activity, it's significant, and these things are milestones that deserve celebration. And so, some of you who follow us on the Facebook page may note that a while ago. I ask people to send me in pictures of their ratty old belts because, especially at some of the longer belt levels, these belts get beat up and destroyed. Especially if you are washing your belt like you should, you filthy animals. Like uh, then your belt frays; it, it it comes apart. And I think it's one of those beautiful things in the world is a really trashed and destroyed jujitsu belt because you see the long hours of training, the hard work, you see the effort, the continued diligence to show up in class, and you see it manifested in that piece of cloth as it frays and decays. And so one of the things I asked folks to do, and I'm going to ask you, the listener, to participate with me here, is I asked people to send me pictures of their beaten up old belts. And I got some great entries. I got I got every entry from white belt to black belt. I got you know beaten up, discolored white belts that almost looked like they were changing a different color. I got one brown belt that had actually been torn in half. I'm not even sure how that happens. Um, I got blue belts that looked like purple belts. I got purple belts that looked like white belts. And I got black belts, which are, of course, the most badass, uh, just frayed and devastated. Things that you know are these special symbols of the journey that, that, that we come on. So you might be asking yourself, Jeff, how can I help? And I'm glad you asked. So there's two ways. First of all, you can send me either at cagesidewhoop at gmail.com or on the Facebook page a picture of your frayed, destroyed old belt that reflects all the hours of work that you've put into it. Or also, I'm going to put together, and and you know, I didn't announce this on the Facebook page, but this is the social video project that I'm working on, because I want people's hard work to be reflected, and I want to, and I want to put it together in a video format that'll be easy for people that don't do jujitsu to see exactly the hours and years. And so, what you can help me out with is you can help me out with some audio. You can help me out with your story. So, what I'm asking folks to do is to call uh, our Google Voice number and leave a voicemail with a simple answer to a simple question which is what does your belt mean to you you can make that as in-depth as complicated or as simple as you want you know maybe the belt just means you know something to keep your gi close to you maybe it means something you you got it from an instructor that was special to you maybe it means maybe you have a particular memory attached with a particular belt and if you're an upper belt you can talk about the current belt you have or you can talk about the belt that was that was your favorite like maybe you had a tremendous time at blue belt whatever your answer to the question what does your belt mean to you is, I want to hear it, and I want to hear it so I can put it into a video format with some of these cool pictures that we gathered. So if you want to send a picture, just send it to cagesidewhoop at gmail.com or post it on our Facebook page. If you want to contribute some audio to the project, you can call our Google Google voice number at 360-389-2830. That's 360-389-2830. And just leave a quick voicemail answering the question, what does your belt mean to you? What does your Brazilian jiu-jitsu belt mean to you? Um, and we will put together a video with that. And I'll post on the Facebook. I think it'll be a really fun project. Um, you can also, if you if you if you know me in person and you happen to run into me, I usually have my recorder. So if you want to give me an answer in person, please do so. So that's fun way. One fun way that you can interact with the show. So again, congratulations to David Hall. Congratulations to Austin Snyder and everyone else at Forge Fitness that got promoted this past weekend. Those are really fun ceremonies. So, so. Please do uh, participate in the project, uh, either calling in the voicemail, uh, 360-389-2830, or sending in in, uh, pictures to the Facebook page or the email. But there's also another way that you can interact with us, and I'm going to tell you about that right after our next segment. And our next segment is going to be competition results from both Jiu-Jitsu and Mixed Martial Arts this past weekend, and we'll get to that right on the other side of this.
0: Fighting is is wonderful, man. Fighting is, oh my
1: God, it's literally like a play. You can just be any character you want. It's the Cageside Concussion Cast on WHUPFM.org. So one of the great things about the growth of the martial arts in the Carolinas is that there are more and better opportunities to participate and compete than ever before. And so I remember when we would have to wait, you know, six, eight weeks for the next U.S. grappling, uh, which is always, you know, my favorite tournament. Uh, one of these days i'm going to put out the uh, concussion cast drinking game and one of the one of the uh, one of the main drinking game things is going to be if jeff says us grappling take a drink uh, that's just a preview for future projects. But now you have so many opportunities to compete at various different tournament organizations, U.S. Grappling still being the best, but there are other tournament organizations as well, I'm assured. And I'm, I'm just I'm just joking. I've competed at all these tournaments. Um, but what's kind of cool about this is there were three big events, two jiu-jitsu events, and one mixed martial arts event that I want to talk about this weekend that featured local competitors. So let's start with mixed martial arts. Uh, because I want to, I want to save the Boston Open uh, for last. We had a lot of people do well at the Boston Open, and I want to talk about that, those folks. So let's start with mixed martial arts, and then we'll get into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So in mixed martial arts, Samantha Seff won her MMA debut, uh, and apparently was a really dominant amateur MMA performance. Very excited for for, for Samantha Seff. Uh, she won by you know, taking mount, doing ground and pound to set up an arm lock. It's always nice to see good Jiu Jitsu being used in MMA. So congratulations to Samantha Seff. Um, Isaiah Monroe also had an interesting experience, and this was this was and this is something that's that may get me off on a little bit of a rant. But so Isaiah, if you know him, trains at Hoist Gracie Southern Pines, is one of the you know one of the nicest, most positive, and you know most diligent and dedicated uh, competitors in both jiu-jitsu and MMA, and it's one of the guys that is constantly focused on improvement. So I went out uh, to train with Lee King and and Isaiah, um, and, and to sort of work with them you know, and thanks to Roy Marsh for inviting me to go and train with them in advance of their impending competitions. Lee is competing at the Master's Seniors worlds this uh, this weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada and this coming weekend. And Isaiah had an MMA fight on Saturday. I was really excited for it. It's really important when you're preparing for these events that you, you you get the person good work and get a sweat up and you know, prepare realistic competition formats for them without injuring them. And so you go hard but but also careful. And so my roommate Alex Cummings rolled out with me and, and Roy had Alex work with Isaiah a bunch because they have similar body types. And you see, and and so the, the story ends well, but, but uh, there's a hiccup, um, which is, you know, if you if you had a buddy go through a fight camp, uh, like particularly for MMA, but, but, you know, really for any kind of intense competition, you know the sacrifices and the hard work that they put in, both in terms of, you know, sparring, hard sparring, because you have to prepare hard, but also, you know, keeping on your weight. You know, keeping your nutrition right, um, just getting up and doing it over and over again. And that's a difficult thing to do. And you, you, you don't know it necessarily when you're around guys like Isaiah who always keep a, a good attitude the whole time, but that's not easy. And what's frustrating, particularly about amateur mixed martial arts, is there's no guaranteed payoff. And so I went out to, to Southern Pines in the middle of the week, you know, worked, worked with Isaiah. He was really excited for his fight. I was like, oh, awesome, I'm going to come out and check it out. And his opponent didn't get his medicals done. Because you, in order to keep the fighters safe, you know, the commission makes you go through eye check, medical check, things like that. And so these are all things that people have to take care of. And a lot of people don't realize that. And th- that's significant for two reasons. First of all, it's a sacrifice because these are amateur guys that aren't getting paid. And so often they're paying to fight because the, these medicals, you know, you have, to, you have to pay out of your own pocket unless the promoter takes care of it for you, which doesn't usually happen. And the, the second part of that, which I think you can see coming, is you are relying on your opponent doing what he or she is supposed to do in order for you to get the ability to fight. Now, a lot of people that don't understand, or that, that don't train, don't, don't understand how tenuous a position this is. And because you can put in a hard 6-, 8-, 10-week camp, and your opponent might not show up. And particularly in amateur MMA, in pro at least there's some sanction because there's money at stake and, and you know, it's it still is awful for, for the fighter that has an opponent drop out, you know, for putting in all this work and you don't get paid as much as you wanted to and 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 it's just frustrating. But like particularly in MMA, there's an amateur MMA, there's no real disincentive other than I guess public shaming, which happens from time to time. So anyway, I, I told you that the story had a happy ending, so we're going to get to the happy ending. Um... Which is, Isaiah's opponent did wind up not getting his medicals done, but Isaiah was able to, the, the, the promoters did a really, what I thought was a really gracious thing, and, and props to, to, to the guy who ended up grappling Isaiah. Isaiah ended up doing a, an exhibition jiu-jitsu match in the cage, in full MMA gloves, and uh, he and he ended up winning by rear naked choke about two and a half minutes in. It, just a really beautiful jiu-jitsu. Opponent pulled guard, Isaiah passed, gave his back. Uh, the, the opponent gave his back and Isaiah, Isaiah ended up finishing with 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 a beautiful rear naked choke. Um don't cross your feet though Isaiah. Um Mike Pagano already said that on Facebook, but I thought I would reiterate it. Um so that was it was really I was happy as someone that you know that you know, really admires the work Isaiah's put in. That he at least got to showcase his skills in that way. I'm sure he's disappointed. I'm sure he would have wanted to to do a full MMA fight, but unfortunately, that didn't wind up happening. The video, there is video of the Jiu-Jitsu match that we will share that on the Facebook page. So, anyway, congratulations to Samantha F for winning her MMA debut, and congratulations to Isaiah Monroe for uh, being professional and, and And I'm glad he was able to, to win that grappling match. So there are two jiu-jitsu tournaments that I need to talk about, and both of these are really, I'm really excited to tell you about these because local competitors did amazingly well. We're going to start with uh, the New Breed Ultimate Challenge, which is in Charlotte. And uh, New Breed puts on grappling events around the region, and we had a bunch of folks roll out, uh, make, you know, it, a lot of triangle area athletes. I'm, I'm sorry, Charlotte folks, I don't know uh, the, as, as well the folks that were that were out there competing. Feel free to uh drop us a line and let us know who we missed. But um, my teammate Eric Hable won double gold. Uh Gian Nogi was very proud of Eric. Uh, he's a guy that puts in more work than just about anybody and is one of the best training partners that you could ask for. So I was really stoked to see him do that. Um uh, Alex Cummings, my roommate, took two silver medals uh, in in the guy and Nogi, which was which was also uh, uh really gratifying to watch. And uh, Kevin Satterfield from uh, who I've trained with uh, several times at uh, Cody Malte's school, Elevate MMA, took one gold and one silver medal. Uh, he t- hit a really slick, and you know, and, and you know, Kevin's a big fella, but and 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 if you know Cody, Cody's not, but Kevin still hit a really slick Cody Malte guillotine uh, to win his division. That I thought was just just epic because you don't necessarily see those kind of slicks sit through. Uh, rolling guillotines at the higher weight levels and so it was really cool to see cody's teaching get internalized and so congrats to kevin for that two other folks i want to talk about at new breed uh, amber Hable, who is uh my training partner as well as eric's wife uh took gold in the ghee, which is terrific um you know I, I rolled with amber last week and she's i you know it's such a beast and so it's really good to watch hard work pay off in competition results and finally the final person I want to talk about, um, and this is going to give way to another way that you uh, can interact with the show. So Brandon Brown, who a lot of you know, Purple Belt, has been training forever, uh, won his division and won a belt. And belts are awesome, right? You know, everybody likes medals. Medals are terrific. But belts are really boss in terms of, like, the hardware that you can get. And so Brandon, like a golden god, did this sort of sultry pose on the podium. And I posted that to the Facebook, which got shared quite a bit. And so if you haven't seen that, go to Facebook.com slash radio and check it out. But it didn't really stop there. Uh, and so, so so Brandon has this, has won this belt, has this crazy pose. Okay, it's kind of funny. Uh, so Daniel Frank posts. He's like, "God, ah, it's been done. Has a picture of him at the same tournament giving a similarly sultry pose. And so I'm not sure if this is going to go anywhere or not but I propose a sexy podium pose showdown between North Carolina and Virginia uh, with the winner being declared at the end of the year, December 31st. I stole this idea from Daniel Frank. You can give me static about it when you're in studio. But like, if you have a goofy podium pose where you're given the blue steel, whether you're just doing something that is out of the ordinary. It can be any competition at any competitor as long as you're on the podium. Send those to us at cagesidewhip at gmail.com or post them on our Facebook page. And at the end of the year, um, I'm not sure what kind of prize we're going to do yet, but we're going to do some kind of a prize for sure. So finally, before we get into our, our featured interview, i got to talk about the, the Boston Open because some folks did awesome. Um, DeAndre Corbe is a beast, and everybody knows that. The Corbe brothers, we talk about them a lot. DeAndre won gold in the adult brown belt division at his weight, and that is an incredible achievement. And if you n- see the type of people that are winning the brown belt divisions, these are the people that, that go on to do amazing things in the sport. I know that DeAndre is going to be one of those people really, really happy for DeAndre. DeAndre's brother Gavin also took silver at blue belt. And I want to mention this specifically because I know the kid that he fought in the finals. It was a really close 2-0 match with Mateos Cohea from Unity BJJ, who I trained with a couple of years ago when he was just an orange belt, and he was giving me all I could handle then. And I was like, man, this kid's going to be awesome. And everybody knows that that Gavin is, all, is already awesome. I really doubt this is going to be the last final that you see between these two guys. Both of them are... You know, young and only getting better. So it was really excellent to see both Corbey brothers do really well. A couple of other guys that I want to shout out before we get into our featured interview. Adam Jetton from Evolution uh, in Wilmington took silver at Black Belt. And again, you know, these Black Belt, these brown and Black Belt divisions these IBJJF tournaments, these are no joke. These are very, very difficult events. Adam is an outstanding competitor, and it was really happy to see him succeed. Adam Jetton also has a tough match at Toro Cup with friend of the show and former guest David Porter that's going to be an exceptional match so congratulations to adam on getting silver and we're looking forward to your match at toro cup and finally last guy i want to mention uh, from the boston open tom colby who also had a match at the cage side concussion cast carnival took bronze at purple belt now this is significant because this is tom's first tournament since he had acl surgery so tom is a, a monster on the mats incredibly technical really hardworking, diligent dedicated and so it's great to see him back on the winning track and so congratulations to everybody who did well at the local tournaments. If we missed anybody, let us know when you get a hold of the show. So um, for our featured interview today, um, it, we're gonna do something a little bit different. A lot of you guys know that I um, that I work on a lot of charity projects. And one of those is called the Women's Debate Institute. The Women's Debate Institute uh, teaches debate and access to college uh, for largely underprivileged uh, young women across the country. And one of my really good friends for many years is Kate Schuster, who was the first woman to win the national debate tournament. Now, what does this have to do with martial arts? Well, I could tell you, but it's better to let Kate explain it to you. And if you're so moved to give money to the 501c3 nonprofit Women's Debate Institute, you can check that out at womensdebateinstitute.org. So without further ado, uh, Kate kind of surprised me with uh, how she wanted to approach the interview. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I will say that I hope you enjoy this interview with my good friend, Kate Schuster. So, we're on the phone with Kate Schuster. Uh, For those who don't know Kate, who I assume is everyone listening to this podcast because this is a podcast about fighting, Kate handles combat in a different way, mostly verbally. I first met Kate through college debate, where she was, I believe, the first woman to win the national debate tournament, the most prestigious honor in debate. She used debate as a springboard to do amazing things in her own career, and uh, among those was to collaborate with me on a debate camp called the Women's Debate Institute. The Women's Debate Institute is a now free institute that teaches the art of college debate the the art of high school the art of debate to high school students who are rising into college. It's a super powerful tool for helping people improve their lives um, through research, through uh, uh, critical thinking, through the ability to express oneself verbally. It's the best thing I ever did and No small reason for it being the best thing I ever did is I met people like my dear friend Kate Schuster, who is on the phone with us now. How are things, Kate?
0: Hey, I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on the cast.
1: Anytime. So I understand. So we haven't prepped anything. And I have my own ideas for how this is going to go. But I understand that in order to educate yourself about the sort of the thing that you perceive us doing here on the concussion cast, that you have have watched a film.
0: I did. My most trusted friend, knowing that I was going to come on the cast, Uh, to educate me with the best movie that he knew about how I could understand the art of what I assume you do. (laughs) And so I have consumed earlier today the classic movie Roadhouse, which (laughs) for the first time ever, and my friend Stephen has described this as the best movie that he knows about fighting debate. So, um, having consumed Roadhouse, I have defined eight principles that I think that we could use to structure our discussion about uh, the relationship between fighting and debate.
1: Well, this makes me prodigiously happy because I don't think that, Stephen, or you could have selected a better film, generally. Like, Roadhouse is just, I think, inarguably the best film of all time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but also, you know, A, I had a Patrick Swayze-themed costume party purely so I could have people dress up like Dalton, the Patrick Swayze character from Roadhouse. Okay, okay. A- and because, uh, you know, as, I'm, as no doubt you will get into in, your, in, your, in your, your list of eight items, Patrick Swayze plays a fighting bouncer in the film who also is a, philo- a former philosophy student. And philosophy plays a huge role both in the martial arts and in the art of debate. So that's all I have to say before you begin your list of eight reasons.
0: So I had a lot of thoughts about the movie. Um, And I want to preface the thoughts that I have by saying that I think that people don't really understand debate very well. Um, That we live in a culture where we don't have good role models for debate. That we think the debate is either the boring crap that appears on the floor of the Senate. uh, Or we think of it as like what happens on Jerry Springer where people throw chairs at each other. So we don't have good role models in our society for what counts as debate. And so it's no big surprise that to me as a professional who promotes debate that when we come to speak to principals and superintendents and school boards about, hey, you should have a debate program, uh, that they think of debate as something that is not uh, academically valuable for their students. And so one of the things that I do is I try to, I'm like a used car salesperson. I try to get people into a new debate program today. Um, and I feel like Roadhouse could help me because, hey, there are monster trucks. Um, and they play Mustang Sally. And as I, as you said, the protagonist, like me, has a philosophy degree. Uh, I've come up with eight things that I think we could uh, go back and forth on. The first thing is um, what it is that uh, is said he... You know, he Dalton has a few rules, and one of them is you should never underestimate your opponent. You should expect the unexpected, um, and I love that because it speaks to um, a particular cognitive skill, uh, which is this idea. You know, when we think about how we teach students, for example, to play chess, um, and in debate, we teach about teach the idea of argument anticipation. It's not just about what are you going to do. It's not just about what are they going to do. It's about how will they react to what you're going to do, and I think that's a really valuable lesson that all of us could learn from watching Roadhouse, which makes me feel weird inside to say out loud. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think it, it, it's uh, it's valuable, and it speaks to my philosophy of how I understand debate. Is that how you think about jujitsu?
1: The sense that I think about jujitsu that, that echoes some of what you just said is that people say jujitsu is human chess, and as you and because the type of chess we play is kinetic, certain physical attributes come into play, uh, you know, where you have to sort of anticipate your opponent's movements in the same way that a debater anticipates an argument. The difference is, in debate, the speeches are timed. You get X amount of minutes, your partner gets X amount of minutes in jujitsu. That type of skill can be fine-tuned over a lifetime so that you can maximize uh, your ability to anticipate your opponent's, in this case, movements. So, for example, as you become—you know, now at Purple Belt, I'm a lot better at seeing things before they happen, whereas I think it was Dave Camarillo who said— that as a black belt, you can see the future, <laughs> which really just means you know that there's a finite list of things your opponent can do, and you're prepared for all of them. Uh, the great Carlson Gracie, uh, as my, fr- my, my, my friend and coach Seth Champ is fond of quoting him, said, Jiu-Jitsu is simple. I just have a list of everything you can do, and I have an answer for all of it. So this is not so much different from college debate, where one preps arguments in response to all the potential arguments an opponent might make on a given topic.
0: So, here's one of the things that I think, Jeff, that people misunderstand about debate. People think that debate is like boxing, uh, where they feel that it's kind of like you roll in, you have your stable of arguments, and you beat the other person, and they fall down. Uh, whereas, I've always felt like the best debaters are people who seek points of agreement. And um, so, it's more like judo, in the sense. I mean, again, my knowledge of the martial arts is very limited, um, but... The sense where you find a point of agreement and you use that to your advantage to take the other person down. Um, so I think the most effective debaters that I've ever seen are people who want as much as possible to agree with the other side uh, because seeking points of agreement are ways that you can then ultimately force your advantage.
1: Hmm. It's always interesting to me when I talk to someone – who doesn't know a lot about jiu-jitsu or the martial arts about their perception of it. Because a lot of times, you know, the martial arts are sort of, uh, you know, it's a niche world. And each martial art is its own niche because they all have historical aspects that drove their creation. And so jiu-jitsu, in a lot of ways, grew out of judo. Intellectually, I, I think the analogy to debate is a very strong one. Because there are times to directly engage your opponent on their terms. Oh, you're very good at this move, but I believe I can beat you at this move you're very good at arguing this particular position. I feel like I should debate you on your own merits. Or A, I understand what your are And there are times to avoid that. There are times to say, I know what your A game is. And I understand that I'm going to have a hard time beating it. Therefore, I'm going to use the energy that you use to try to trap me into your A game, whether that be the closed guard or your top pressure game in jiu-jitsu or whether it be somebody that's really good at arguing a particular philosophical position. Like I know you're really good at arguing the works of Jacques Derrida and so, (laughs) boy, I don't even want to mess with that morass of goo and I want to go around it.
0: But I think there's a larger life lesson there, which is that when you are in a disagreement with someone, whether you're negotiating over the value of a car that you want to buy or with your landlord or with your partner – so we have a tendency, I think, to identify where do we disagree and focus on that, whereas agreement is so much stronger than disagreement. And, you know, my intuition about the sport that you're engaged in is uh, that, you know, finding places where there is congruence um, between you physically, you know, physically, emotionally, intellectually, um, that those are actually a strong suit for figuring out where your next move goes. And so, you know, I think, not to be all roadhousey about it, but, you know, the idea of expecting the unexpected, as Dalton tells us, um, is really about what's unexpected. And what's unexpected is that we actually might agree about some things. And we actually might be looking for the same set of moves. And if we can acknowledge that in advance, then we can seek advantage.
1: So what other life lessons from Roadhouse were you able to glean from <laughs> your first watching of the movie?
0: Well... Number two is maybe not as good. I don't know how much you remember about the movie, but at the beginning he says he has three lessons, and the second one is take it outside.
1: Let me pause you for a second and say, Kate, I could give the speech verbatim, so you never have to ask me what I know about the movie.
0: So. <laughs> So the second thing is take it outside. And, um, yes, I see where he's going with this. Like, you don't want to, you know, have your fight in front of other people or whatever. But I think increasingly in our political climate, this is something that I disagree with. And I want to hold it up for that reason. That taking it inside and having a, you know, serious disagreement with people uh, in front of others is important um, in our current political climate, and so I actually, this is one that I'm going to disagree with Dalton on.
1: Bold. Real bold. But
0: what, what, what is your opinion, Jeff? you feel like they should take it inside or outside?
1: I feel like we should never start problems inside the bar.
0: <laughs> All right, that's fair. All right. So you know the movie better than me, so what's number three?
1: Number three is be nice.
0: Yes, be nice. Oh, I love be nice. Yeah. One of my favorites.
1: It's words, words to live by, but do you remember the corollary principle to be nice?
0: Why don't you tell me?
1: I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice.
0: Yes, until it's time to not be nice, exactly. You have to know the place where it's okay not to be nice. Um, And that's something that I have struggled with my whole life. Um, I came up in a culture of competitive debate, which is very hostile to women. And the question of... What counts as even being nice is very loaded and super sexist. And so uh, it's something that I really struggled with is what does it mean to be nice and when is it okay not to be nice? And I remember very fondly, when I say fondly, I mean not fondly, uh, (laughs) a particular debate against some, you know, charming, young, whatever, 17-year-olds from USC who told me in a debate once to settle down. This is going so well for you until you told me to settle down, uh, and
1: now did it work?
0: This so well for you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel often on this. I really do. I feel like I, I feel his principle, which is, you know, try as much as you can to keep this contained in the moment, and so that you're not disrupting, you know, the larger crowd, but. Again, this is maybe something I disagree with
1: them about. Uh,
0: I'm not. I'm not sure I'm ready to play
1: nice right now. <laughs> well, let me let me defend the Dalton position for a second, which is simply.
0: Oh my god! I love. To, can I get that as my ringtone?
1: <laughs> Abs- absolutely. <laughs> let me defend the Dalton position right now, which is I think that we can take, be nice until it's time to not be nice, oh, as yeah, as right. as a way to sort of transcend those norms, right? Because you know, speaking of someone who is not a one and uh, but who did do high level competitive debate? I saw the truth in, in all of what you say, which is like the norms are different. Uh, a guy can be super aggressive and can be super um, you know, really direct and pointed and mean, and w- without being considered. And you know, and sometimes people you know, sometimes people do call folks on uh, guys on that behavior, but it has different connotations. There are specific ways that people try to make women behave, and there's a time to be cordial and to be decorous and to, you know, to sort of try to catch flies with honey, but there's also a time to sort of say, no, this is who I am, to assert yourself, a time to not be nice.
0: So four, four,
1: ready? I was born ready.
0: Oh, okay. Four. Nobody ever wins a fight. Nobody ever wins a fight. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Because... Here's the thing about debate. When I started debate, there was only one winner and one loser. Uh, and I have the distinction <laughs> of there is a reason now at tournaments all around the world that there is a rule. There's only one winner and only one loser in debate. And that reason is because of me. And I, that is because I was in the debate once at the University of West Georgia without going into too much granular detail. The judge Uh, based on a concession that I made, said, okay, uh, you both lose. And I thought, all right, good, we both lose. And he was in the awkward position of taking this to the administrative staff. Uh, (laughs) And it caused the tournament to go into quite a tizzy for a while. And we both were were declared losers in this debate. Um, And now there is a rule that says... Uh, there has to be one loser and one winner. And, you know, without valorizing myself, I can say that you know, this lesson for me that nobody ever wins is more profound than that. It's because if we overvalorize winning, winning, uh, we, to, to my mind as an educator, I think we undervalue what one gets from any particular fight, you know, or debate. Uh, so that's where I come from. Well,
1: so um, let me... Uh, I'm going to quote the great Ebby Calvin nucle from the movie Bull Durham who said, I like winning. You know, it's, it's like better than losing. Obviously, I'm being a little flip and glib with that. But So I come down, it seems to me, I want to, I want to talk to about two of the issues that you raise. One of which is, I think there are really positive things that come from a competitive framework. Oh, I think, yeah. think there's really good things about people trying to win and trying to lose. But I also see the value in sort of breaking out of what are these sort of rigid ideas about what wins and losses mean and what they don't mean, which is why I think it's cool that, you know, not that you lost that debate, but that you sort of shattered that traditional competitive framework. Um, I I will actually want to tell you a story about jiu-jitsu that's super germane to what you talked about. So I was sparring, and uh, I was on my back, and a guy was on top. Now, in jiu-jitsu sparring, you're not generally supposed to do what's called striking, you know, punching, throwing elbows, stuff like that. Sometimes you do. But, but it's not standard procedure. So I got a guy in what's called a triangle choke. It's where uh, I put my legs around his neck, and I choke him with my legs. He's got one arm inside my legs and one arm out. Uh, most people listening to the show know what that is. So the guy decides that instead of trying to escape a sort of what we call a technical way, which is like a smart uh, step-by-step procedure to escape the, the position, he decides he's going to start throwing elbows into my ribs. And I feel one of the ribs go, and I hear a sort of wet snap inside, inside, my, inside my, my abdomen. And, um, and this is a part of me that you don't see very much, Kate. But so at this point, I have to make a decision. And I make a decision that's sort of simultaneously rational and irrational, where it's like I have to choke this guy unconscious. And, <laughs> and, uh, and the, the, the emotional part you can kind of get, right? Oh, God, this guy just broke my rib. But i got to put him to sleep. Um. The second, but the rational side is, I have to sort of, A, demonstrate that this is not acceptable behavior, and B, I have to know that I can finish this in a real world situation if someone's, if I'm trying to choke someone and they break my rib, I need to know that this, I can still complete this choke. And so so I do, and so I complete the choke. And sometimes I tell my fundamental students that story, and then I ask them rhetorically, uh, but they don't know it's a rhetorical question, who won that fight? And so most people, and what, what would you say?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Depends on what the definition of wins
1: is, right? Right, exactly. And so, so I'll, tell you what I, I'll tell you why I say, I say this to my fundamental students. I say, who, who won this fight? Most people say, well, you did. Well, you know, he's unconscious, you're not. And I'm like, yes. But if we hadn't fought I wouldn't have a broken rib.
0: Oh, it's a so zen of you.
1: But that's the thing. It's like when people – like the best self-defense is not to get into a fight. And I tell people that all the time. You can live your whole life avoiding situations like that. Guy's shoulder checks you in a bar, leave the bar. You step on a guy's foot and he's all bent out of shape about it, apologize. Even if and especially if you know you're you're tougher than that guy or that you're more a more skilled fighter or whatever – Especially if that, because you get yourself in a situation and, you know, yeah, you, you beat him in a fight. Congratulations. Now you have, you got your finger bent back. You got your eye poked. You got this big scratch on your face. You know, because, because no altercation leaves someone unscathed. And that's, not to, and that's not to say it's always the wrong decision to fight, b- because it's not. But, you know, uh, nobody, nobody, nobody purely wins. I don't walk out better off than if I had avoided that fight.
0: So as someone who, as a woman who, as you said, has, you know, this fairly singular distinction, I'm sure it's just a statistical blip that I'm one of, I'm actually one of six who's ever won. uh, And there's 200 of us. So I'm sure that's just an error, a (laughs) grounding error. (laughs) Do you ever meet anyone who's trained in statistics who says they don't believe in chance? They've done it wrong. Um, so I do believe in chance, but, uh, or and, um, believing in chance lets you see patterns that you
1: might not even see before. That was actually a terrific intro, uh, because this is a good segue for how the Women's Debate Institute got started, yeah. which is, uh, when I was coaching a high school debate and, uh, a group of coaches, of other coaches and people that were concerned noticed that women and men joined debate in almost exactly equal numbers in our state. You know, and so everybody was interested in learning this this cool thing that, you know, was empowering in many ways and could help you get into college. And so it was about a 50 50 ratio. And the last year or the second to last year that I coached high school debate in Washington, there were about 50 debate teams of two people, meaning about 100 debaters. Only one of those teams was two women. And there were five total women of about 100 Debating in the, in the senior, the advanced division, which would be like, you know, for the martial artists out there, uh, that's as if all, the white belts were even men and women and only men made it to black belt. You would ask yourself, what's going on? What's pushing people out of the system? And, what's, what's, and, and, by ext- and by extension, what, what is preventing people from accessing the benefits of this activity? Yeah. So that's how WDI got started, and um, I should have mentioned in the introduction, Kate was the first ever keynote speaker at the Women's Debate Institute, which is now in its 16th year.
0: Here's the thing, is that I'm not against a good argument. I mean, I'm actually, <laughs> my friends will say, you know, if there's an argument and Kate gets involved, you know, stand aside, but my feeling is that my job is to actually avoid arguments. And what debate training does is just teaches you to how to avoid argument um, done correctly, you can find points of agreement and not have an argument um, But if you do have an argument, then you know how to do it in a way that is you know civil and meaningful and you know hopefully doesn't result in scars like yours.
1: <laughs> there are no scars, but my ribs are rather deformed, and I've, I've broken ribs three times and uh Two of those you can you can feel if you if you feel my gut. So if anybody particularly wants to feel my gut.
0: Alright, I'll come poke you the next time I see you. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: Alright. What are we on? Five. Five is a quote from Dalton. Which is give me the biggest guy in the room. You smash his knee and he'll drop the biggest guy. You find his most vulnerable part and you knock it out. And That to me speaks, from a debate perspective, it it speaks to me because it's like, yeah, this person, they may, you know, they may go to Dharma, they may be, you know, have all the advantages that you have that you don't have, but if you find their sense of vulnerability, then you can, you know, hit them there and they go down. And I think that that's, you know, something I suspect that our disciplines have in common is you don't have to disagree with everything. You just have to find the key part that you disagree with and use that as leverage to undermine the other
1: parts. Yeah, most definitely. In, in my discipline, it's carotid arteries and, uh, and knees, actually.
0: <laughs> so, okay, so knees, yeah. Um, but I love that about it. It was just like, oh, yes, of course. It doesn't matter how much bigger than he is. And as someone who debated in five-inch heels and pantyhose and... You know all the rest of it. I mean, you walk them down these stairs, and you can still find the place where you can just kick them in the knee, and they fall down.
1: So Kate's talking about me when she talks about the five-inch heels, by the way. Although, <laughs> although true story, true story. The, the first college debate tournament I ever won, I was wearing a dress. Oh, you were. Yeah, I was. Huh, well, what color? Um, it was Allison Huey's yellow dress.
0: Oh. You look so good in yellow. (laughs) I can see that. I can totally see that. It comes with your skin tone.
1: (laughs) Bright bright and sunny, yo. Bright and sunny.
0: All right. Ready for six?
1: I was born ready.
0: Oh, you're going to love this. Sometimes intimidation works. So I'll tell you a story about me, and then you can tell me a story about you. So I became famous um, on the debate circuit for, it's not important the nature of the argument, but... I became famous for a particular argument that was very difficult to answer. Uh, And um, I kept this argument in uh, Expand a File. For those of you who are office nerd, you know, supply people, you know what that means. Um, And uh, we had won all of our debates on the negative on this argument. And uh, we would go into debates, and there would be a question about what side we'd be on in the elimination round debates, and I would just come into the room and I would stick the file on the table, and I would leave. And I would walk out, and I would smoke a cigarette because I had bad habits in those days. And I would come back 15, 20 minutes later, and they would say, oh, we're gonna go on the other side, and I would say, that's what I thought. So, intimidation works.
1: So, like, To, to apply that to Jiu-Jitsu, yeah, or 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 to martial arts. So when I got into martial arts, uh, for those people that don't know me in person, I'm uh, a short, nerdy, 145 pound vegan. I have glasses. I smile a lot. I am not the most intimidating person. I am among the least intimidating people. And uh, and this I'm is. with you, but for
0: different
1: reasons. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> don't be scared, homie. So, <laughs> but but uh, I, I'm not an intimidating person. And so, what's kind of strange is what, what when you think of a bouncer, Kate. What, what like what do you what do you think a bouncer does look like or should look like?
0: Oh God, you think it's going to be this giant person? And that's part of the thing about Roadhouse is they're constantly saying to Dalton, like, "I thought you'd be small. I thought you'd be bigger. Yeah, I, I thought you'd be bigger.
1: Yeah." And so, and so, I'm going to tell a story that's not about. I'm going to, I'm going to establish a principle and then tell a story about Jay Quitfield, friend of mine who's been on the podcast several times, Boise, Crazy Black Belt, super tough guy. Um, so most bouncers are huge for intimidation purposes because nobody wants to start stuff with the six foot five, 260 pound guy, even if he doesn't really, you know, have a a ton of of skills and there, there, there's a substantial reason for that. And so when I first started training, I was like, you know, I really want to be the tough dude that you don't think is tough. I want to be the dude that can really take care of himself and his friends, but you would never be afraid to strike up a conversation with, or you'd never be, you know, you would never be put off by hanging out with, with somebody that looks like me, hopefully. The thing is that too, everything comes with a trade-off, right? Because there are times when you want to be able to intimidate people and are, and, and, and you can't. And that's just sort of part and parcel of living the life I live and looking the way I look. And so, uh, so Jake is, is about my, he's bigger than me, but he's about five foot seven, you know, and and has a bigger frame than I do, but is not a huge intimidating person. And I, I, forgive me if I got these details wrong because uh, it's a secondhand story. But, but a dude when when Jake was bouncing began to sort of, intimate that he wanted to buck up, and you know because Jake is a smaller guy. You know, if you don't know what to look for, he might not be the most intimidating person. If you do know what to look for, you're like, yeah, yeah, don't mess with that guy. But Jake says to the guy, "Do you really think that?" A five foot seven guy that looks like I look would get this job if I didn't know what I was doing?
0: Hmm.
1: And point. So, <laughs> the, the North Carolina State motto is esse quam videri, to be, not to seem. And I think for me, the sort of lesson of that is you should always strive to be. But there are times when, uh, when seeming is also good. So, does, right. that, does that bring us on to number seven?
0: It does bring us on to number seven. And seven, number seven is good. Number seven is let go of the past. Uh, There's this, you know, incredible moment. Uh, There's the sense that he is, um, he's had this thing go down um, in the past where it has damaged him and he, uh, you know, can't fully open up to um, be his full self. Uh, Waker it has a wonderful line, and this is super profane that you may have to edit, when he says, you want to fight Bliss? Well, I sure ain't going to show you my... D- <laughs> that, is a, that is an awesome line. <laughs> and, um, but there's a sense in which Dalton is really, like, he's hamstrung by the past. He has to let go of what has happened in Memphis. Um, and I think, you know, for me, as a debater... Um, I had to let go of what had happened in past defeats to be able to go forward. Uh, there's a sickness that strikes certain people in debate where they um, get preoccupied with their past defeats. Um, and, I mean, there's some good to be had with a chip on your shoulder. And I competed for years with a chip on my shoulder, and I don't regret that at all, even though it cost me a you know, great psychic toll. Um, but... But um, if you can't let go of those past defeats, you can't see what's really in your future. I don't know. I appreciate that wisdom from Roadhouse. What's your feeling about that
1: from a jiu-jitsu perspective? Well, uh, like I have a general competitive perspective on, on this as well where – so you have to let the past be the past, but that's difficult. And I completely identify with competing with a chip on your shoulder because for years I did that in debate and other enterprises, and my motto was work the chip like if mm. the chip exists you got to work the chip you and i didn't compete against each other very much in debate uh but i was Not a much. no but but i was a psychotically competitive person at that time in my life i was yeah and i mean you don't win the ndt without being an extremely competitive person right and and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but it's a particular but that takes a toll as as you alluded to and like i i am um, and so i was a much more com- i'm still a pretty competitive person but i wasn't I have a much more healthy perspective on competition now, and I think Jujitsu has helped me with that. and And I think there are two reasons for that. The first is in Jujitsu, everyone loses um, because there's always somebody better. And you know, certainly you lost debates, but I think that you know that you know from from our experience, the dominant debate teams, the the losses were few and far between, and they were noteworthy. If you if you had an upset to uh, a school that wasn't "quote" supposed to beat you "unquote." It was sort of like, "Oh wow, that that's really surprising." In jiu-jitsu, there's always people better than you, and so it teaches you humility because if you if you're not able to get a handle on your ego and your hyper competitive drive, then you quit. And if uh, because you you can't handle getting beaten up every day, in many cases by people who are smaller, who are women, which is hard for a lot of guys to take, uh, people that don't look like someone who should be able to beat you up. Look, you should, they, in, there's this image in your mind of what someone that should be able to beat you up should look like. And so, it's, um, so, so there's a very humbling thing about it. But the second thing, which I think has helped me get a, a handle on it, is uh, so in jiu-jitsu, you're very in the moment. There's this emotional balance that you have to get in jujitsu, which comes from being very much in the moment. And that's why you sort of have to train so much to react very much in the moment. And you must let go of something that happened five minutes ago, five months ago, or five years ago, because there are very pressing matters uh, that that you have to attend to. That is, there is a person who is trying very, very hard to harm you. And it's a way to sort of and 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 that tends to narrow one's focus to a very to to a tight sphere. And that is something that that has helped me like you know jujitsu people talk about how jujitsu is the best therapy, how they don't need to go to therapists because the mat is their therapist. And you know and that's a bit specious cuz i think there's two different kinds of therapy, but it's really true in that like you always feel better after you train. It's much easier to let go of the hard stuff that's in your life either today or, or, or that happened to you in the past. And if, let's say, something bad happens to you in a jiu-jitsu match, let's say someone passes your guard, you know, gets past your defenses and gets into a dominant position on you, you immediately have another challenge to address, which is don't let them choke or arm lock or foot lock or otherwise submit you and so it's something that really forces you to live in the moment to live in the flow of things and let go of the bad things that just happened
0: yeah. mistake
1: a question that i would be asking myself if i were a listener why should i as the listener of a fighting podcast support uh, a debate camp that's free that helps young women uh... learn debate and attend college
0: oh my god we're teaching combat We take students who don't conform to the existing spectrum of gender identities, and we give them the skills that they need to be able to engage meaningfully in the world that is hostile to them. And I would absolutely ask your listeners to consider you know, giving $5, $10, $50 to help us make the world a better and safer place. We are on the same page, really. As far as how do we use the idea of engagement as a way to transcend and to make more powerful social interactions that will build a better society?
1: So that's our show for the day. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to listen. Thanks to Dave Hall for trying to call in. You can get at the show on cagesidewhoop at gmail.com. You can get at us on Twitter and Instagram at cagesidewhup. If you want to leave us a voicemail talking about what your belt means to you, you can call the number 360-389-2830. And if you were so moved by the interview with Kate Schuster to contribute to our fully uh, 501c3 nonprofit which is tax-deductible, you can go to womensdebateinstitute.org on the internet and uh, leave a donation. Every little bit helps, and it all goes directly to helping, uh, helping folks achieve uh, access the, the benefits of competitive debate, which, as Kate said, it's kind of like verbal combat. We'll be back next week with Bryce Mahoney um, talking more about the martial arts. Um, thank you all for listening. I'm Jeff Shaw, and we will see you all next week.